Hey guys, welcome back to the episode. I'm Joel with Backwards Brothers and I'm with my man Tony. And we have a special guest today. We have Stephen Bates, a uh, going running for a sentator position, right? A sentator yeah. position. I love that. Yeah. Hi, Steve. <laughs> How you doing? Thank good. you. Good, good. You know, um, I really am trying to get used to hearing myself in my ear. I'm going to have to take that off for a second. I know. I don't even know if I can get used to that, you guys. I mean, yeah. But we're glad you're here to join us. Man, so much. Uh, you know what? Um, if you are just joining us, make sure. And I'm going to make. I'm gonna put this out, Joel. Because last year, brother, or last year, last week, brother, I put out to our viewers within the first minute, I said, get online as Joel is going to be talking to us about what kind of things are happening. We need you to get online. We need you to at least share this out to at least five people you know. So do that right now. Get your phone, get your iPad, grab your kid's iPad. They're not supposed to be watching anyway. Grab your kid's <laughs> iPad and definitely share it out. But they might learn something tonight. So you yeah, might want to have them tune in. If they're trying to get out of homework, though, you know what to do, mom, dad, okay? Yeah. Anyways, brother. Exactly. So um, well, while you're at it, also, just so you know, we, we did release the BS Project uh, episode yesterday. So if you haven't seen that yet, it's actually out there. It's, uh, it's on our YouTube and Facebook page. Go check out the new BS Project episode. But hey, Steve, so uh, I was looking at your website, obviously, to learn more about you and to kind of Brian, to love your privacy there. But um, I read this line here, and I actually thought it was quite cool. It says, uh, by using the principles of statementship and the, way organ and the organ way, Steve has had 19 pieces of legislation introduced by different legislators and committees with a strong track record of bipartisan passage. So the, using the statesman and the organ way, um, um, obviously you weren't a, sen a sentator at the time, right? No, I wasn't a sentator at the time, nor was I a senator. <laughs> so I, I, I was I was actually what they call a citizen lobbyist. Yeah, I, was, I, I thought it was absolutely amazing how the ability you've got to work from not being in a position to uh, to vote on that, to be able to argue or to work together with multiple teams to get legislation passed that originated from you your end, but you weren't actually one of the voters. I just thought that was kind of cool. Uh, yes, and of course, the way the system works, uh, anybody uh, can actually, who has an idea for a law or a bill, if you will, they can go talk to their legislator, but any bill has to be introduced by a legislator. It has to be a senator or a House of Representatives representative. Uh, they're the only ones that can actually introduce a bill. So you have to have a relationship with somebody who's actually passionate about the project or the item that you want to introduce. Yeah. Um, and of course, that's what happened. A lot of the things that I did had to do with uh, veterans. And as a result, I sought out the people in the building who would actually have a passion for that particular project. And mm -hmm. Senator Alan Olson was my, my biggest ally when it came to uh, 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 veterans issues. We we actually tried three different times to get uh, property tax relief for veterans who were uh, wounded warriors. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, they get a minuscule uh, discount on their t uh, property taxes. In at the turn of the 20th century, and in, in, I think it was 1911, they got 100% property tax relief. Wow. But through the years... Things changed, 
and now they're only getting less than 10% of relief of their property taxes. They had 100%, went from 100% to 10%? To less than 10%, yes. Less than 10%. And that's why Senator Olson and I were working on this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yes. And that's why we were working on this project uh, with the Senate bill to actually get a better percentage. We we knew we couldn't get away with going all the way back to 100%. So we were trying to get it up to 20 or 30 or 40% level uh, that would be more palatable because uh, it involves tax money and the, some of the schools and some of the counties were a little upset that we were taking that money away from them. But I said, we're not taking away from you. We're basically giving relief to fellows that went whether it be Afghanistan or Iraq, and even some Vietnam veterans uh, still uh, need help uh, with their property taxes. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they, uh, but they, they fought for it. I mean, they, they deserve it. They deserve it. So. Yeah. You announced your running um, in January of this year, didn't yes. you? Yes. Okay. What brought you to this point? Well, uh, <clears throat> Of course, Senator Alan Olson retired uh, in January of 2021. Uh, I actually put my name in to take his place. He, he retired in the middle of his term, uh, and there was a process. I put my name in to take his place. Uh, I was the number one nominee uh, from the Republican Party, mm -hmm. and uh, Senator Olson actually endorsed me. He says, I want Steve Bates to take my place. Uh, that didn't happen. Somebody else took took his place. But then he called me last October. He said, Steve, uh, Senate District 26 is coming up and, and you're you're in the new District 26. I says, oh, well, I said, I'm not really interested. So he called me again two weeks later. He said, Steve, you got to you got to run. You got to run. I said, well, I'll give it some thought. Then in November, he called me again and said, Steve, you got to run. You got to run. Wow. And then uh, along about <laughs> along about right well through the Thanksgiving holiday, I gave it a lot of thought. Talked uh -huh. to my wife, talked to my family. Yeah. And then the uh, first part of December, I says, "Okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot." So uh, while we didn't make the formal announcement until January, because we had to get a lot of things uh, squared away, uh, make sure we had a bank account for people to donate to our campaign and everything, we had to get everything set up. But uh, and that's what brought me to it. I was I was talked into it by a retired senator. It was also backed up by uh, quite a few people. I want to actually read an endorsement. Uh, Mayor, uh, Marie? Marie Tooney, yes. Tooney, she said, an elected board member of the Oregon Trail School District Board of Mount Hood Community College Board said this about you. Beyond a doubt, Steve Bates is the most qualified person to run for Oregon State um, Senate. And she actually said this, too. Being his neighbor for 40 years, uh, it's been amazing to see how he has become an icon of the community. Nice. I, I really like that word. <laughs> I like that word. I, icon. I mean, can't get any bigger than that. Yeah. So she speaks, speaks very well of you. Yes. Uh, she was your neighbor, too, so that's even better. Yes. I can remember when her cows used to get out and come over. To, they're, they're one street over from us, and every once in a while we'd have to help chase down our cows and take them back. You know, we the same thing happened here, but we owe it with kids. When the kids would get out, usually we just chase one down. Chase you know, one down. Last one, last one, drag them back. Yeah. You're, talking, you know, about, you're talking about my kid too, aren't you? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. No. 
Hey, uh, we have uh, one of our guests was asking uh, how they get a new yard sign. The weather ruined theirs last uh, yesterday and today. Uh, well, you can call my office, 503-663-6271, and let me know uh, that you need a sign. And, of course, we're, uh, we can leave some with... Uh, <clears throat> With the lit keys here, and and they can they can help deliver them too. They they know those big old stack them, so yeah. I know lots. Of yeah. You know, apparently we're the sign distribution. Yes, location. you are the sign distribution <laughs> company of Estacada. You could see their yard. You could see them. They'll, yeah, they'll they'll hook you up. <laughs> Wait for political sign. Yeah. So there's much better places we'll talk about later where you can get another sign. Uh, but yeah, so can I push the the um, advocating for you a little bit more? Um, well, Someone well, said. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, my mother brought me up and told me that it's wrong to self-promote. So I would gladly let you promote me. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to gladly do it. It says Steve exemplifies. Yep. <laughs> Steve exemplifies honesty, integrity, leadership, commitment, and hard work from the community. He cares so much about. So actually in this statement, there's honesty and integrity and leadership. Tell, can you talk a little bit about how important those three uh, things are? Well, you know, I had a 40-year business career, and one of the things that was really important to me was the fact that uh, uh, when I got a customer, it was a customer for life. Um, most of my customers kept coming back and coming back because uh, I tried to make sure that they were treated appropriately and properly, and of course, they, they got uh, the bang for their buck. Uh, you know that that is honor and integrity in in uh, where I was brought up, and and that was important to me. Of course, my dad was a Baptist preacher too, mm. and he wasn't uh, he wasn't ashamed to swat me on the behind if I did something wrong. So I always kept that in mind. Did he do it in church? Uh, no, he did not. Okay, <laughs> I used but, to be a pastor. But I mom, did. <laughs> mom, mom did burn a roast or two because he preached too long. <laughs> and everybody said, "Amen." <laughs> So honesty and integrity and leadership. Talk about leadership. Well, uh, I that's where I guess comes natural. I, it's nothing that I really set out to do. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I saw something that needed to be done, I'd say, we need to do this. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get people, and they'd get behind me, and we'd go do it. So I guess that's leadership. That is. So, yeah. John Maxwell said, you're not a leader unless someone's following. That's true. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I, I used to I, say that. I'm not leading anybody when I'm just walking the same direction everybody else is. Ooh. So that's good. That's good. So, um, you know, I was looking at some of your accomplishments that you've done over the over the years over there in Boring, and apparently in 2013 you were named Boring Citizen of the Year, which is kind of cool. But they they referenced some of your accomplishments, uh, and one I thought was kind of interesting. Is that you led Boring Community's effort to withdraw from the TriMet district and uncovered potential fraud in the process. Ooh, kind of yes. curious how, uh, how how you got got yourself out of TriMet well, there because I thought that they were like once their claws in there. <laughs> they, well, uh, and of course I've I've lived in uh, Boring since 1977, and when we started our business, uh, every business pays the TriMet tax, and uh, in 1988 I believe it was uh, Tr Damascus got out of TriMet, uh, along with uh, Wilsonville and Canby. Those three communities were excused from TriMet because they found uh, that there was something wrong with the law, and, 
and at that time to correct the law the uh, the legislature actually excused those three communities from TriMet because they were suing to get out uh, unfortunately nobody from Damascus came to Boring and tell us that they wanted to get out because we would have probably gotten out then but when I was <clears throat> getting ready to semi-retire that's all was always a question in my mind is why we're paying all this money to TriMet but we're only getting a bus at six o'clock in the morning and a bus at six o'clock at night. Yeah. Just two buses a day and at awkward times. Uh, nobody who worked in Boring could ride the bus to work or no, anybody who lived in Boring and worked in Portland really couldn't get to work on, on public transit. So it was sort of a waste. So we started asking questions in 2010. Uh, the questions or the answers that we were getting to the questions, we were paying full price for less than full service. Uh, the answer was, well, tough luck. So uh, with that response, the Boring Community Planning Organization, of which uh, I was just now then becoming a member, started having some meetings uh, with TriMet people, also with the city of Sandy and also getting involved with the county commissioners. Uh, nobody could come up with a good solution. Uh, basically what it boiled down to is that TriMet was trying to apply an urban service to a rural community mm. and it didn't work. Because mm. they, said, they said that their buses couldn't go on our rural roads. Well then if they couldn't go on your rural roads, why are you telling us that uh, we should be riding uh, buses when we need to have cars to get around on these rural roads? Uh, so one thing led to another in 2011 uh, and you can only withdraw from TriMet every five years. A lot of people didn't know that, and I didn't either. Actually, it was a news reporter that told me, go, go read the law, because 2011 is your year. It just happened to be that I asked the question at the right time. So then we, I called TriMet and says, well, where do I get the petition forms? Because it says here that uh, you guys are in charge of these petitions. They says, well, we don't have one. You're going to have to make one up yourself. So. Oh. So I started from scratch. Uh, I made up petition forms. We went around the community. We got, uh, uh, there were very few people that wouldn't sign. I, I would venture to say that we got turned down by 10 people, not 10% of the people, but just 10 people. Oh, really? Uh, hmm. And uh, everybody said, well, why do we have a service that we can't use? Mm -hmm. uh, and basically they were wasting money. They were taking, uh, I figured about three quarters of a million dollars a year out of the boring economy, and we were subsidizing operations in Portland and Gresham, which didn't make sense to me because that was another county over. Are you shocked by that, Joe? Not at all. So, Primat's uh, one of the yeah. most badly run organizations in the in the state. Mm -hmm. So, besides yeah. the state itself. And so we proceeded. We got enough signatures. We turned the signatures into TriMet. TriMet then sent them to, to the Clackamas County. They they verified the signatures. And the TriMet says, yeah, you've got enough signatures for us to have a hearing. So they called a hearing. Now, and they are in charge. The way the, the rules are set up, they were in charge. So they got to select the judge who performed the hearing. Uh, we, they asked us to help them find a venue. Uh, so we helped them find the venue. The, the, we used the NAS Elementary School for, for the venue for the hearing. But from that, the co cooperation sort of ended. It was all about them and them winning rather than the people actually getting hurt. Uh, the judge who they chose uh, found against the people of Boring and this de denied uh, 
withdrawing us from, from China. Of course. But there was an appeal process, and the appeal process went to the board of directors. Now, they figured that we would quit after the hearing, and, and the, the judge said, no, you can't withdraw. Well, uh, I talked to a few people, and we actually had some business people that said, well, this is worth fighting in court. So you go ahead and fight the board, and if need be, we'll, we'll get legal counsel and we'll, we'll actually sue them because there, was another, there were two other options where we could sue or we could ask for a, a special election. And the special election would involve everybody in the TriMet district, meaning that the people in Portland would get to vote whether or not Boring gets out or not. Well, that was an option. So I said, well, at least I, I can keep this uh, in front of people if we ask for this uh, provision. So I actually made a request that they put this to a vote of the people. But in the meantime, I was doing a lot of research trying to figure out, okay, well, what's going on here? Because some of the people that were fighting uh, the withdrawal were people who were operating businesses. Uh, they were actually uh, operating businesses for handicapped people. They were more interested in dollars than their handicapped people. And they were actually collecting money from the state, allowance for driving their own bus and taking those uh, uh, clients to the doctor's office or wherever they needed to go. But no, they parked their buses and they were actually calling TriMet and TriMet was taking their Lyft buses, which cost TriMet $35 a trip. They were paying them $2 a trip, according to the rules. So uh, they were making a lot, this was a nonprofit and the owners, uh, it, was a, it wasn't a nonprofit like what you have. It was a nonprofit where it was uh, for a family. It was a family nonprofit. And this family was making tons of money off the state and they were actually upset that I was, that we were talking about uh, taking away this paycheck that they were getting uh, because they were supposed to be using this ODOT money that they were applying for and getting to run their own buses, but they weren't. That is where we identified some fraud. And uh, when I told the board of directors from TriMet that I had discovered this problem and that uh, nobody's going to be left out in the cold, there's transportation available to them, transportation money is available to them through the state, uh, the argument was that uh, you should let us out and then everybody who needs transportation can get their money from the state and then... Uh, you know, find the transportation that they need. Well, the board of directors, uh, actually the state legislature caught wind of it. And uh, everybody who was a state legislator that touched Boring uh, signed a letter saying let Boring out. And that sort of broke the camel's back, if you will. And then in December of 2011, the TriMet board voted to grant us an exit effective January 1 of 2013. So that's how that happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of work there. And it's, well, it's and, and, that, and that's, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't realize. And that's why a lot of stuff doesn't get done. Because if you start on a project like that, you have to go to the end. You, you, you can't just go and say, oh shoot, this is harder than I thought, I'm gonna quit. And unfortunately, that's what happens. And that's what TriMet was counting on. They were counting on us to quit. Uh, they were trying to make things as hard as they could. They were literally stacking their defense. Yes. And yet, you work through that. 
Mm -hmm. To see it to its end. Well, and and that I hope demonstrates to everybody uh, that when there's something that needs to be done, Steve Bates will get it. Well, in fact, there was one of the members of the boring CPO. She found out that I was working on a project. She says, "Well, if Steve Bates is involved. It's going to get done." Uh, and that was the biggest compliment I think that I've, I've ever had. Tenacious. Yes, um, you, you know, and uh, you, you know, that's it's just a, a really good sign of what's to come. I'm sure with all the hard work and mythology in there. You know what also is a really good sign? So the signs you see around here and things, these are good signs, and you know what also makes really good signs? Whitney Signs. Yes. Whitney Signs is actually one of our great and awesome sponsors. They make uh, signs, banners, uh, they make stickers, all sorts of good stuff. Most of our stickers like these right here are actually made directly from Whitney Signs. So if you get a chance, go ahead and check them out. Uh, we, have a, we have a little uh, commercial here for you, and then uh, maybe give them a call. Hong Kong. I love the Hong Kong thing. It's amazing. Welcome back, guys. It's like it's just like a last little wrap to the whole thing. Right, right. Uh, so uh, someone says, "What is the first thing you would do if you were elected?" Well, one of the first things I would do is I have a big sigh of relief because running a campaign isn't exactly an easy task. But the first thing I would do, of course, uh, I got to organize the office uh, down in Salem. Uh, I do have several issues that I want to address. Depending on how the election goes, will determine which items that I prioritize. Because uh, in order to get something done, I got to know that there's going to be people that are going to be working with me in a bipartisan fashion. So if we have, uh, if we actually get a Republican majority, it'll be a whole lot easier to do some of the things that I want to do. But uh, one of the biggest... A red wave. Yes. Yes. One of the biggest concerns that I have is uh, uh, traffic congestion. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't hear anybody talking about it other than, you know, they're talking about tolling and that's going to reduce congestion. No, it's not going to reduce congestion. Reduce it's, gonna, it's going to make people drive where there's no tolls and the traffic congestion is just going to move. <laughs> we need more lanes. And that is basically what I want to at least, uh, as a senator, I know I don't have a whole lot of power over uh, ODOT, but uh, there is an oversight committee, it's the Transportation Committee, and they can actually put pressure on ODOT, and the state legislature can actually pass a law that will establish policy for, for ODOT, and also the Oregon Traffic excuse me, the Oregon Transportation Commission. The OTC, basically, they're in charge of ODOT. Uh, it's a commission that's appointed by the governor. A lot of people didn't know that there was that layer. Uh, and uh, they basically set the policy. But if the state legislature says something in a law, the Oregon Transportation Commission has to follow that law. So that's one of the things I want to do. I want to speed things up. There's talk about, uh, some of you might have heard about the Sunrise Corridor. Uh, we had the Sunset Corridor back in the uh, 1980s. 
Uh, that's when they turned Highway 26 into a four-lane highway going through Washington County. Mm -hmm. They promised us that it would be our turn in a few years on the east side, and there was going to be a four-lane highway to hook I-205 up with Highway 26 out here, uh, just outside of Boring. Uh, that never happened. I don't know what happened to the money. Supposedly the money was there. No, excuse me, I do know what happened. Anybody know what light rail is? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. The original light rail money came from the Mount Hood Freeway, which was the original four-lane highway from I-205 to Highway 26. Uh, the city of Portland and the state of Oregon uh, decided to take money along with the, our states, our, excuse me, our United States uh, congressional uh, delegation. They took the money for the Mount Hood Freeway and actually funded uh, TriMet's uh, yeah. light rail. Have I mentioned yet that TriMet is probably one of the most poorly run organizations? In <laughs> can I, I, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> can I take you back a little bit sure. um, to the tolls? I used to live in Kirkland, Washington. And uh, we had the 405 corridor, yes. which ran into I-5. But then you had I-90, and then you had the um, uh, 205, 205, 550, 550. You have the I-90, the 550 going across the, um, Lake Washington right. to Seattle. Well, when they put the toll bridge up on I-90, which was the, uh, the smaller floating bridge, mm -hmm. everybody went down the I-5 corridor, came up the I-5 corridor, went across 520, created um, um, congestion there. So yes. you're right about that. It's yeah. almost it, common sense. Yeah. People are going to go where they, where they don't have to pay. Especially uh, especially if you're driving to work. Yeah. Uh, I actually was at a meeting today where Commissioner Paul Savas made a presentation and he was talking about this very issue. And he said that uh, basically what tolling is is, uh, is just a, a referral of the traffic to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way of getting out of it, especially if people are driving from Vancouver, Washington to go to work in West Lynn or Wilsonville. And if they're going to have to start paying 10 or $12 each way to go to work, mm -hmm. uh, they're probably going to have to quit their job and find a job somewhere else because it, it's going to be too expensive when you consider it's going to cost you almost $200 a week. Uh, to go to work. And that's uh, the thing is, we're Oregonians and people are already struggling enough when, and since yes. Mary's adding an extra to feed them doesn't need to happen. I mean, there's already so many taxes in this state. We're one of the highest tax states short of California and Washington, highest tax states in the country, and they want to add tolls. That's another yeah. tax. Well, and one, one thing about the way Oregon has evolved uh, you know, there's been a one-party control now for just about 30 years, and that e evolution has actually created an environment where uh, the party that's in charge just wants more money. Uh, they don't give you a reason why they need more money. They just want you to give them more money so that they can spend more money. <laughs> so, and I, I, if I get to go to Salem, I'm going to stand up and say no. Thank God. Excellent. One of the, we'll just tell the next one. Yeah, please. Yeah, one of the uh, audience questions was, "What are you most passionate about?" And it's interesting because I kind of wrote down four passions of yours already, but you already know what your passions are, so go for it. Well, uh, of course, my first passion is my family. Uh, I've got uh, two grandkids, uh, and I love them to death. Uh, I, 
I, there, there you go. <laughs> I, I actually wear five hats. One of them is uh, being the head of uh, my family. Mm. Uh, we also have a small business. Uh, I have uh, one nonprofit, the Vietnam War Memorial Fund, which is uh, a nonprofit that was developed to build a Vietnam War Memorial on the Oregon State Capitol grounds. The other nonprofit. The other nonprofit is the Boring Oregon Foundation, which we established uh, to uh, build a community center for the greater port, the Boring area. And then uh, the fifth one, it, it, let's see, I, I lost track. Did, did I say that the, the, uh, I talked about our small business? That, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm still the, uh, the uh, chief executive officer of that small business. Now, can you give us a little tidbit? Because you, you told me when we were talking about how much a normal fire engine that's a ladder oh, engine would yeah. cost. Well, and to help everybody understand, the, the last 25 years of my career, uh, I was involved selling fire trucks in the western United States. Uh, and so that's where the, this subject Comes. came up. Uh, the last fire truck I sold was, uh, I think, $538,000. That's a lot of money, and that was just what we call a wow. pumper. Yeah, and that was just a pumper. Now, you get these long ladder trucks, like the, the they hook, call them hook and ladders. That can be as much as $1.2 million today. And we were also talking about the way uh, inflation is taking off. Uh, heaven only knows what that's doing to the fire trucks. I don't sell fire trucks anymore, so I haven't checked the prices lately. Gotcha. Yeah, um, actually, uh, someone actually actually just said so my computer's broken. Uh, someone was actually saying I could listen to this guy talk for hours. He is so patient and easy to understand, not like other politicians. And I have to agree with him. Actually, you have a very yes. smooth way of talking, and you seem very confident and, uh, and knowledgeable about what you're talking about. And it's 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 kind of refreshing. Um, so. If only they could see my knees shaking. Well, <laughs> it's really funny you say that because you actually calm us down. Usually we're going at it, but with you here, it's like. Just well, I guess I, it comes from age, you know. I I, uh, I used to be. Uh, well, let me borrow some of that. Yeah. Age. <laughs> I thought you got enough age there. Oh yeah, he's starting up. He's starting up. Hey, you open yourself up. Look, for my, my daughter just turned twelve. That's all I have to say. I rest my case. Start. Gray hair. Gray hair. So. <laughs> hey, uh, also someone said, get it, uh, get it done, Steve Bates. Yes. Well, thank you. I, uh, in order for me to get it done, I need for everybody to vote for me in the primary, May the 17th. Your ballots will be coming out. Uh, they'll be mailed April the 26th. So by the end of that week, you should have your ballots. Fill it out for Steve Bates. Send it in. Uh, you can vote for other people, too, for other offices, but make sure when it comes to Senate District 26, you vote for Steve Bates. I'm sure most people who watch the show know how that kind of that part works, but just in case, mm-hmm. um, when you're voting for in um, April 17th, right? May 17th. May 17th, May 17th right. That's for the preliminaries. The preliminaries are how you get them on the ballot for the official election later. That's basically saying who the party is going to be. Now, it, it's, a, it's a nominating primary is exactly. what they call it. So. And, uh, and I look to be the Republican nominee. I am actually the only Clackamas County resident that is running for this office on either side of the aisle. Oh. So uh, we have uh, a Republican from the Dalles, a Republican from Multnomah County, and a Republican from Clackamas County, Boring, that's me. 
And then the, the, there's only one Democrat running, and she lives in the Dalles as well. So I'm the only Clackamas County resident running for this office. And just so you know, 65% of the population of Senate District 26 lives where? Clackamas County. Clackamas, Clackamas County. County. And that's why I'm running. Part of the reason why I'm running is uh, I don't want to have my senator living in the Dalles. Okay. Well, you know, uh, one of our viewers said, we need to change up this one-party control. And uh, speaking of party, you can't have party without pizza. You need party <laughs> and pizza. And we have a local lady here who runs a fine business. Her name is Valerie. And uh, she is in charge of what we call Hitch and Post Pizza. I love going to that pizza place because not only is the pizza, the service great, but it's also something there for kids. And, Every time my daughter goes, it's always some place. And to just eat. so you know, the wife and I, when we're done with this tonight, we're going to go over to Hitching Post and see about their pizza. Well, there you go. That's the right. best, best thing. Watch this. Hey guys! Hey, uh, so uh, you know, for those of you, just in case you can't see Steve because he's a little bit farther back here and stuff, we wanted to give you a nice, good picture of him. Let's go ahead and pop that up real quick. There you oh, go. That's a good close up on him. So, and, and, and mind, mind you, I was uh, eight years younger in that picture. Hey, you man. know what? You <laughs> look that way right now. So, you, everybody can have a Steve in your living room. There you go. <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, Someone also just said, uh, speaking of ODOT in May, between May 24th and September 5th, 2022, a timed use permit will be required for each personal vehicle assessing federal land adjacent to the waterfall corridor between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., oh. just east of the Bridal Veil off-ramp, exit 28, to Ainsworth State Park, exit 35. There's a little quick bit of information, I guess, in there. So. Yeah, and uh, and part of that has to do with congestion. That area is one of the most traveled area, most traveled areas in East Multnomah County, uh, and they're doing that to to reduce congestion. If anybody has been on Highway 30, especially on the weekends, the old scenic highway, uh, sometimes you're stopped because. There's no place to park, and then somebody says, "Well, I'm going to wait for that guy to leave," and then uh, it's just it's just terrible. So uh, that's part of the problem, and the way that they're uh, addressing that is basically punishing everybody financially, saying, "Well, you're going to have to uh, get a permit in order to uh, get into that area." I can't say that I like the idea, but from uh, a practical standpoint, we can't make the old Highway 30 any bigger. Uh, and of course, the parking lot out on Interstate 84, uh, when it's crowded, when it's full, uh, nobody else can can get in there. So, uh, I, I th this is a way of at least handling the problem for now. Uh, yeah. We we have to we have to look for another solution in the future. You know, one of the things I saw in here, and I haven't seen it in any other candidates, 
um, running, but one of your, um, you're very mindful of catastrophes or possible catastrophes because you're looking to further the efforts to reclaim and activate the Willamette, I can't say it yeah, right, yeah, Falls the, Locks. Yeah, the Willamette Falls Locks. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get, if you have an idea that uh, we're one of the few states that are blessed with navigable rivers, you know, there's the Columbia River and the Willamette River is also navigable to a point. Uh, there are locks at Willamette Falls in Oregon City and West Lynn that uh, actually were decommissioned by the federal government because all the locks and dams are controlled by the, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, but there's an effort to reclaim those locks so that we have a navigable river between Portland and Salem. If you think about this major earthquake that they keep saying that we're going to have, mm -hmm. Uh, the highways, as we know them, uh, aren't going to be standing. I mean, if they, if they if it's as bad as they say it's going to be, you're going to have roads buckled. You're not going to be able to drive anywhere. So how are you going to get? Uh, there's going to be airports that some are going to be damaged and some aren't. So how are you going to move food and emergency supplies if you don't have roads? You do have air, but there's only air ports every so often. You know, there's one in North Salem, there's one in, in the middle of Salem. Uh, but how are we going to get supplies down there? Or if, in the fact, we're the ones that are hurt the worst, how are you going to get supplies up here? Well, if we had locks that worked, we would have navigable waterway that at least we could ship things back and forth between Portland and Salem. And that's something that uh, I'm very much in favor of. Yeah, I can see the the idea of that, but uh, my question would be, or off this the top of my head on that one, if the bridges, the bridges and the roads are damaged, wouldn't the locks also be damaged as well? It all depends on how the earthquake, uh, you know. Would, I'm saying, would they be yeah. retrofitted specifically so that they might be able to take an abuse like that? I, 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 repaired I believe that that's anything the federal government is doing now. Uh, basically has to have earthquake uh, measures uh, in the construction well, we get the of the government to do this yeah. then. Uh, yes it, it's federal government property uh, okay. and it's taken I know of at least five years that they've been going back and forth with the Army Corps of Engineers the Coast Guard uh, and the state and they finally have uh, uh, they have finally are in a position to where they're starting to look and actually get money uh, in a budget to actually start to the process to reclaim them. So, gotcha. Yeah. I feel like you had a follow-on question to what you're asking there. No, actually, um, I, I just thought that was very that was thinking forward. Um, one of the things you said you also intend to support issues such as community college funding, prioritizing vocational education, and replacing the Clackamas County Courthouse. Yes, the Clackamas County Courthouse. Uh, I believe now, I don't know if it's fully funded or not, but it's close to it. Uh, Representative James Heeb, who took the place of Christine Drazen in Salem, uh, he's from Canby, mm -hmm. uh, he actually was able to secure more funding for the Clackamas County uh, Courthouse. Uh, and I honestly, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly where they are for funding, but they're getting closer and closer. Uh, the Clackamas County Courthouse down in downtown, the old courthouse, of course, we've outgrown it, and number two, it actually sits on sand. It's not on a rock foundation. Uh, as a result, uh, this major earthquake would just cause it to slide into the Willamette River. So, 
So what about promoting, uh, this was really interesting, promoting vocational education? Uh, that is very important to me. Uh, I don't have a college education. Um, there wasn't any money in the bank when it was time for me to go. Uh, my dad, on his deathbed, apologized to me. I'm the only one of uh, his kids that didn't get uh, a college education, or at least uh, a year or two of, of college. Uh, but I was able to overcome that. Uh, I got to live the American dream without a college education, and you can do that. And nowadays, uh, it's, there's some of these uh, vocationals, uh, I mean plumbers, uh, electricians, they're making uh, more money than some people that have a $100,000 degree. Yes. Uh, and I've run into too many people who are paying off a $100,000 school debt. Yes. And they're not practicing uh, the, the uh, discipline that they went to school to learn. Very true. Uh, so I, I honestly believe, you know, and of course there was a, even I did the same thing. When it came time for my kids to be college age, I says, you're going to college. In fact, my son says, no, I want to take a year off. And he said, I said, no, you're not going to take a year off because if you take a year off, you just won't go to college. I know how this works. So he and I argued. We, we forced him to go to college. He ended up getting a four-year degree. Uh, and his degree is in business administration. And I'm proud to say that he owns his own business today. So at least he's, he's practicing in the discipline that he, that he learned. I'm yeah. actually working, I'm working through, the, uh, through my master's degree right now in cybersecurity and networking. So right now, um, well, and, and not to take anything away from a college education, but we don't want to stigmatize the people who can work with their hands. Mm -hmm. And and if you have the gift of working with your hands, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at book learning. So I got to tell exactly. you, I think the story you just told about your son already illustrated where you stand on that. Yes. You didn't go to college yourself, mm -hmm. but you're saying you will go to college. I was, yeah. Almost a satire. I was almost thinking, what? <laughs> you know, so. well, yeah, and like you said, people work with their hands. I mean, I have a really yeah. good friend that's uh, an electrician, another one that's a yes. welder, and, and I mean, and making good those, money without, yeah, yeah, they make really good money without those guys here. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have you know, the studio, we would yeah. have houses, we wouldn't have mm -hmm. most of the things we use cars, all that people that use their hands. Yes, the, the other thing about this issue, too, it sort of bothers me because back when I went to school, uh, in uh, actually in elementary school and junior high school, they actually tested you. Uh, for what your abilities were. Uh, mm -hmm. They put me in a college prep program because uh, I scored high on the SATs. Uh, so I was ready to go to college, but uh, again, the, the money wasn't there. And, and of course, uh, back then, <laughs> I'm talking over 50 years ago. Did now. he say back then? Yeah. He didn't say back then. 50 years ago, <laughs> 50 years ago, you couldn't borrow money uh, to go to school like you can today. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of our guests actually says, yes, more vocational classes. I'm 100% okay with funding vocational education. We need more professionals that can uh, build and fix things. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, and, and if you look at, at some of the backlogs that we have in uh, construction, it's because there aren't enough skilled laborers. Uh, we need more skilled laborers, and that's also one of the things that... Uh, our education system is supposed to be feeding our business system, if you will, with employees that know how to work. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. 
So I, this is a million dollar question. It's not a, <laughs> but how do you feel about Mr. Biden, President Biden, our, and how he's leading our country? If you need help, we got a photo for you. The, o- the only thing that uh, I appreciate about Joe Biden is he likes ice cream and so do I. <laughs> what did I say? It was coming up again. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well yes mm. well, i mean that's when he can remember what he's, what well, he's walking and doing and not staring at walls i do but, but it, apparently he has a lifelong brain freeze from that ice cream a lifelong <laughs> brain freeze oh i have to let that stand on its own take that in guys so back in in, in back of you right in the back of you uh we have a a tribute to the 13 <laughs> fallen soldiers. Oh, did it come up? Yeah, yeah. there's one more. Show them my favorite. Show them that again. Yeah. Uh-oh. Read, read it. Read it, bro, before I get back there. Read it. Yeah, so this is Biden, the quicker fucker upper. <laughs> and what's the other one? Bring the other one up. Our producer put that out there. What is that? If, if I only had a, you know, the, the thing. If I only had a, you know, yeah, the, it's, if it's I just, only yeah, had a brain. brain. And here's, here's a favorite one here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Shits and giggles, the world's greatest So, you know, I I know how you feel. We know how you feel about veterans. Right behind you, there is a tribute to, and actually one of the most memorable shows that I think we've done, and that did with my brother because he is a veteran himself. But we honored the 13 fallen soldiers who were abandoned and left over in Afghanistan. Um, And that... I think for me, I mean, uh, there's a, a lot of things that have, I find problematic with Joe Biden, but, or President Joe Biden, he won't say that, but President Joe, Joe Well, you know, he is our president. Uh, yes. So, I, so President Joe Biden, I, but this one took the cake for me. Yeah. What did you think? Well, uh, I, I was appalled, uh, not only for, for those 13 veterans, but uh, all of the other Americans that were left behind, too. Uh, that that was just terrible. I mean, they, they found excuses uh, for what they did, but they just didn't do any planning. And uh, I would have I fired the chief of staff of uh, uh, the military because they let that happen. Uh, th- there's the blood of those 13 soldiers on their hands. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not a veteran, so I uh, have a difficult time uh, speaking out about the way the military works. Because uh, while I was in a Marine Corps ROTC program in high school, I learned a lot about the Marines, hmm. uh, and I have great respect for our Marines. Semper Fi. Uh, I got to wear the Marine uniform. I mean, that uh, how, how cool is that? But I, I was never able to call myself a Marine because uh, that was during the Vietnam War. And they had a lottery for the draft. And many of you have heard about the draft, but uh, in my, I was the second year, the year I was eligible, it was the second year of the of the uh, the lottery, and my number came out way high. And they only called like sixty five dates, birth dates that year, and that was the start of the decline of the Vietnam War. So uh, we were going like this. Whew, I don't have to go, mm-hmm. and uh, and in a way, I'm sort of ashamed that I had that attitude. But based upon the societal uh, defects of the time, 
and I don't know if that's really a, a good way of play, playing it, but there were the anti-war people, and then there were the people uh, who were for the war, and of course I was in Barstow, California, and we had an army base 30 miles to the north, and a marine base just uh, 10 miles to the east. And so we were in the middle of this conversation about this war, and it was an unpopular war. And the sad thing about it is that uh, 58,000 boys ended up going to Vietnam and dying, and eight, and eight women. Uh, back then, there weren't too many women who were in the military. So when you go to the Vietnam uh, uh, wall in Washington, D.C., you'll find eight women's names on that wall because only eight women perished uh, in the Vietnam War. Hmm. But because of the way that war ended, uh, in a stalemate, just like Afghanistan. 58,000 boys gave their life serving their country, but nothing came of it. And for that, I'm, uh, uh, again, I'm, uh, uh, I'm retrospective of the fact that uh, we should have done things differently 50 years ago. Sadly, that was well said. I wish it didn't have to be said, but... Well you know, uh, Steve, I'm, I'm a veteran and I can tell you, and I've been in war, so I can tell you, don't feel any guilt or about not going. Feel lucky that you didn't have to go and experience that. I mean, that's something that, I, you know, I wish no one had to experience or deal with. But and, and as I've gotten older, uh, knowing what I know uh, has made me more appreciate people like you who have served. Yes. Uh, yes. And it's, and like I uh, said earlier today, uh, I owe a debt of gratitude for everybody who did serve in the Vietnam era. Uh, 58,472 gave up their American dream so I could live mine. That's it. And I, I'm, I'm not forgetting that. And that's why I have a passion to make sure that we treat our veterans uh the way they should be treated, because I also saw how the Vietnam veterans were treated when they came home. Oh. They were treated so terribly. Yes. Uh, spit upon. By their uh, own people. And I even had uh, a couple of them tell me that when they were wearing their uniform, they got off the airplane in San Francisco, they were changing planes to come to Portland, and they were actually chased through the San Francisco airport. People were wanting to beat them up. Yeah, uh, I, I never had experience that. I, I had people that actually had signs and stuff and welcoming you home when I came back. Well, and, and because of that, too, I, I used to travel a lot. I, I was on, I don't know how many times that I was in the Atlanta airport waiting to change planes to go to either Philadelphia or to come back here to Portland. Uh, and we had uh, some of our Afghan veterans uh, coming home in uniform and we'd stand up and we'd shake their hands and say, thank you for your service. But our friends from that served in Vietnam they actually had to tell themselves, each other, welcome home, because nobody else would. Tony is a, is a, a big, big advocate for military and veterans and law enforcement. So yes. it's one of the, I think it's one of the key things that they really caught me about him is how, how much he really pushes out for that. So yeah. not, to speak your, not to speak your story. Um, I'm glad you did. Yeah, it was your story. That it, that's yeah. I can't. You already know what I think. Yes, so. definitely. Um, someone said here. It says uh, I love the fact that uh, he is aware. Uh, uh, I love that he is aware of the fact that since 
He isn't a veteran. It is harder for him to speak on that, but his support for veterans is felt. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. And also someone said, you, they love your answer, Steve, uh, um, in the brain freeze comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, the fact that I'm sorry. I'm reading. I'm reading something that's old. It says uh, they are still being treated horribly. Someone says. Well, uh, it depends on where you are. Where wherever I go, the Vietnam veterans are being treated a whole lot better than they were. And actually, the Vietnam Veterans of America was formed to make sure that the Vietnam veterans got what they deserved, and that organization actually was successful in con in conjunction with the VFW and the American Legion. In getting uh, uh, Agent Orange, I mean, however many years that took for Agent Orange to actually uh, come to the f forefront and actually the federal government actually started helping the people who were infected with Agent Orange. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I believe that at least society is treating them better and uh, than before. But uh, because of the neglect of Agent Orange and whatnot, we're, we're losing eight Vietnam veterans a day, and many of them, including former Secretary of State uh, Dennis Richardson, was a Vietnam veteran, and uh, he died of brain cancer, which I'm cons uh, uh, I'm certain was a result of exposure to Agent Orange. Yeah, that's a big thing people don't really talk much about and stuff. So. And especially, you know, the way that they treated them back there. And um, I mean, there's even groups of people today, pockets of them that will, that will still disrespect and treat uh, veterans badly. I mean, just as much as they're gonna, they, they, they go after law enforcement. Law enforcement is a form of veterans. And yes. it, really, it really pisses me off. And being a patriot of the, of the uh, you know, and a, a solid supporter of law enforcement, a patriot of the country, I really get pissed off at some of the things I see sometimes. So there's nothing better to express how much you get pissed off as a patriot mm -hmm. than sometimes to have shirts, hats, mugs, and things like that expressing how much you get pissed off as you know being a pissed off patriot. And so we actually put something together in our merchandise that talks about mm -hmm. gives you a chance to express how much you can be as a pissed off patriot. Let's take a quick look. We're back, so please take advantage of that uh, merchandise there. We, we left off talking about veterans, and then Brother spoke up about the treatment of police. And, um, you know, I can't help, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually say it, in some <laughs> segments of our country and population, um, uh, there's more crime than, than others. And um, I have to, by the way, as we're talking, um, bring us back to what happened in New York yesterday on a closed train, which mm -hmm. is a, by the way, terrorist attack. And the guy wasn't dark skinned. He was black. And um, also he wasn't the alleged gunman. He was the gunman. So I wanted to correct some um, media language to just actually put it out there. And I understand, I believe today they actually put him in custody. And they put him in custody. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Hopefully we get to see it to its end. And not, you know, anyway, what I want to ask you is about police officers. Um, well, uh, number one, uh, I'm 100% behind our, our, our police. 
and our sheriffs uh, and, and the sheriff's deputies. Uh, one of the things you have to understand that part of my business, uh, I made a living selling bulletproof vests, or at least my people sold bulletproof vests. Mm -hmm. uh, we were one of the ones, one of the companies that introduced what they called Second Chance. That was a brand name that came out of Michigan, uh, the Second Chance vest. Uh, we introduced that uh, here in Oregon, uh, my business did. Uh, we enjoyed working with the police departments. We enjoyed working with, uh, I've got a lot of friends that are retired police officers. Uh, but one thing I want everybody to understand that uh, while you know there's an attack on funding the police, we're already in trouble because today there's 50% less state troopers in the state of Oregon than there were 20 years ago. Mm. When there was 9-11, there were twice as many state troopers in the state of Oregon as there are today. And think about that. Since 9-11, our population has doubled in size. It went from 2 million to 4 million. So we have twice as many people and half as many state troopers. And one of the big problems that that presents is that the state troopers are the backdrop for the city police departments and the county sheriffs. And if we're understaffed and we have a major problem, then nothing's going to get done and we're not going to be safe. So I'm saying that our communities are at risk until such time as that we fully fund and fully staff our Oregon State Police. Because of morale, I've talked, yes. Because of morale, or I've talked to a lot of police officers, their morale is down. And yes. the last two years brought and tanked that for them. And, and that, that totally makes sense because they're having to work harder they're having to put in mandatory overtime. Now, mind you, when you have a job that exposes you to situations that causes PTSD and you're having to spend mm -hmm. more time at that job, that, that actually uh, it, it denigrates their mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is one of the things that we need to make sure that we get more police officers hired and make sure that we have enough so that nobody is overworked and everybody can get the time off that they need. Because after any major event, especially a shooting, yes, uh, some of these police officers have to take some time off and they have to actually have to go see a psychiatrist and they have to pass certain tests. And while they're off work because of that, then you have other people having to take their place. So we, we need more police officers. Well, exactly. I mean, they talk about wanting to get law enforcement training and everything else, and they need to be better trained, they need to be better trained. Well, when are they going to get training when there's the, the people that are arguing that are defunding them, taking that funds away, causing them to be less law enforcement so they can't get the time to go train because they're having to do the job in the first place. Yes. So you actually said something, too, that made a lot of sense, but something to consider is, the, by them having to work longer mandatory overtime, they're actually increasing their risk factor because not necessarily the fact that they're more tired out, tore, uh, tired and worn out, but they're exposed to that longer on the shift. And so while they they accept a certain risk factor of yes, uh, while I'm on the job, this might happen to me. Now they're adding an extra you know ten to twenty hours a week onto that. That that you know that's doubling their the risk that they're taking in their family that they're the risk that their family's taking. And no one's a robot. So if you're exactly. going to burn someone out, you're going to, they're going to make more mistakes. Right. If they make more mistakes, there's more cameras to capture those mistakes, which is a never-ending cycle. Yeah, exactly. and, and of course, everybody wants to use the cameras in order to uh, actually 
tear down the police. Yeah. Yeah. A viewer says here, brother, you want to read it or? Uh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, yes, more officers and more training so they can handle major events and they can have the proper training to handle situations. Less funding means less training and less officers. Exactly what we were just talking about. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lands right on there. So um, it, it is, I mean, it, it really frustrates me. And you see things that happened in Portland. There's another, there's another side to it. Law enforcement are there to enforce the laws. They're there to capture the criminals, people who violate the laws, and then hand them over to the district attorney or the prosecutors to prosecute those laws and the, the rest of the judicial system to run them through. But when they kept, catch the bad guys, they put the case together and they deliver it to the district attorney, and then you get a district attorney that just releases them, that's a morale issue because it basically makes all your job, all your work, all your risk, everything you just did for absolutely nothing. That's right. And, and uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, I, I consider myself a law and order candidate. Uh, retired Multnomah County Sheriff Bob Skipper is one of my supporters. And he said to me, he says, Steve, I, I like the fact that you talk about law and order, but you don't just say the words. You tell people what it means. Yes. And this is what law and order means. Go Number ahead. one, you enforce all of the laws on the books. No selective enforcement. Mm -hmm. Number two, you indict and prosecute each and every case to the full extent of the law by the rule of law. And number three, you do the crime, you pay the time. No early outs. And what the governor has been doing is ridiculous. She's Disgusting. put 1,200 criminals on the streets and actually she is increasing the homeless problem because those people aren't going to be getting jobs and buying houses. You can't argue with that. That I is mean, the most strategic way I've heard it. And it's the most direct. I mean, and the most direct. Well, and, and to tell you the truth, I learned that from Rudy Giuliani. Rudy? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. The All former right. mayor of New York actually well, said that's exactly how he cleaned up New York when he became mayor because uh, New York was a cesspool when he took over as mayor. And that's how he got well, the city of New York cleaned up. It's just by those three, three rules. It's a cesspool now. Um, is right because they're not applying those three rules. Yes. <laughs> the, the gunman who shot six people mm -hmm. and injured many more had a long rap sheet. Yeah. Should have never been yeah. able to acquire it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, you know, um, we, uh, do you have anything else you want to cover? Because I've kind of ran through my questions for you. You know, yeah, I have you one know more. Huh? One more ad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mental health. Mental health is something that uh, I believe that the state needs to establish uh, a statewide policy to make sure that mental health care is available where it's needed, when it's needed. How we're going to do that, I don't know. Uh, uh, Representative Cedric Hayden from the central Willamette Valley actually introduced a bill back in 2018 that was a trial uh, or a start of a program, or at least an experiment, uh, but that bill died in committee. Uh, the state legislature has been ignoring mental health. Uh, we need to look at what we're going to do as a state when it comes to mental health care. Uh, there's a gentleman who's running for House District 52. His name is Dr. Bourne from Sandy. Well, he, his, his practice is in Sandy. He lives up on the mountain. Is his first name Jason? 
Uh, no. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> no. Like, he has a practice, too. Yeah. Ooh, that's scary. But uh, Dr. Bourne basically has been saying this, because I've been to several uh, candidate forums, and he's been there, and he, speak, and he keeps repeating this. He says, uh, 10 years ago, you could call, and within five phone calls, you could have an appointment with a professional uh, mental health care physician. Today, well, and then 10 years ago, that went up to 20. He says, today, it could be as many as 50 phone calls to actually find somebody who will take you. It basically, he says that we're in a mental health care crisis. There's not enough mental health care to go around. And of course, uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle uh, increased mental health care cases? So um, this sits really close to me because I have a private practice and mm -hmm. I have a waiting list from here to California and I'm only one person yep. and I had to even take some time off to even give myself some time to recoup. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to capture the mental health issue until we can't capture the drug issue because they go hand in hand and they're comorbid. Well, and uh, if anybody's been following my Facebook page, uh, I've made some comments about the fact that uh, we need stricter laws when it comes to uh, not illegal looser drugs. laws. Yes, yeah. we need stricter laws because uh, the opioid the opioid crisis is uh, is terrible, mm -hmm. and the fact that we're not enforcing the opioid uh, laws uh, is actually creating a, a, a bigger problem. Uh, we at least if we get the people off the streets and into a, a detention center of some sort, we can actually help them with their drug problems. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let me ask you the flip side of that because um, my wife has a chronic illness and she has to take chronic medication. Um, so my question comes to is when it comes down to that, they make all these laws, opioid laws and things like that, and they affect people who are need that medication on a legitimate purpose because it helps them function on a daily basis. How do you balance that out without punishing those who actually need it or making it yes. hard or impossible and, and, to and, get their medication? And, and that's a very good point because mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm getting ready for an interview tomorrow in Portland uh, with Willamette Week, and I'm anticipating that they're going to be asking me questions when it comes to uh, guns, uh, and basically, uh, my response was going to be this: No matter what we do, it seems as though that certain people say that the answer to any problem that we have, whether it be guns or drugs, is we actually violate or take away the rights from the honest people, uh, and we don't really solve the problem. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. Uh, the, any laws that are on the books today, I don't believe actually affect people who are using the drugs legally. It affects people who are using them illegally. I, I would have to disagree on that. It's, um, it's, been, it's been kind of painful for my wife to get in and to do, like, do uh, managed pain care and things. And oh, okay. The, the hoops and things. Well, and and that's, kind of that's, okay, that, I don't believe that that has to do with state law. That I believe that has to do with the medical uh uh, what's the word I want? Uh, uh, the, the, the medical care uh, companies have set things up to where uh, I can't go see my skin doctor unless 
my general practice doctor oh, sends yes. a referral. Your PCP, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that part of what you're referring to is the apparatus that has been set up to protect the medical people so that they're insured to make more money. Well, yeah, and my wife just actually wrote a comment in her here. It says, mm -hmm. it's the doctors being afraid of losing their license. It might not be the license. Oh, okay. So I, I wasn't aware uh, that, uh, and, and I, I'd be curious to find out which part of the government would be in charge of uh, inspecting a doctor for uh, prescribing opioids. For, and now that you mention it, some veterans have told me that even the VA uh was stripped of any opioids because there were so many uh, opioid problems with veterans. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's, it's coming back a to hard, me now. It's yeah. a hard conversation yeah. to have. It's yeah. a very, and so, yeah. um, you know, it would be kind of interesting to, uh, maybe I can, uh, we can inquire with Well, you. and one thing, one thing about, uh, you know, running for office, of course, we have these discussions, but a lot of people don't realize that the Senate and the House, they actually have committees, and these committees actually research this sort of thing and they bring in stakeholders, whether it be people uh, who have a problem, like what you're talking about, your wife uh, experiencing some difficulties. And we also bring in the stakeholders from the, the medical uh, companies uh, or the medical doctors, where the doctors can say, I have this problem. And then that's how they actually craft some of these laws that we get. The good laws are brought from consensus in talking with different parties and understanding how to fix the problem appropriately. Hmm. One of the viewers, I think, I think it's one close to us, it says, it's insurance putting pressure on them as well. Yes, uh, I understand that. I, my family, we actually use Kaiser uh, Permanetti. Uh, we've had that for 30 years, so we're used to their system. Uh, and we haven't had any great medical difficulties that we've had to really worry about things like this. But uh, I understand, uh, you know, insurance, people having to approve. Uh, a friend of mine, I guess he had a bad knee uh, down in California, and that knee was actually affecting his balance. He's, he, he's about my age. And uh, it took, I think, so he's twenty. He's twenty five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it, it took it took a couple months for uh, the insurance company actually approve the procedure that the doctors had prescribed. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I I understand that difficulty, and I don't know how to fix that. Uh, you know, you can. I think it's a large conversation to have. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's but you know, that's one. But that's, yeah. but that's something that has to be done at the federal level. Uh, a state law wouldn't really affect that because the federal government uh, is the one that passes laws that the, the me medical people have to follow because it involves going across state lines. So. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's definitely a larger conversation that, um, that definitely needs to happen out there because it seems like it always seems to kind of weigh against, you know, same with like gun laws you mentioned, it weighs heavily against the good people. And they seem to take the blunt of it, but they're never really attacking the problem. Yeah. It well, is. I, I mean, uh, I don't know how many gun laws that we've passed in the last eight years here in Oregon, but uh, there are more, there's more gun violence in Portland than there ever was. So apparently, those laws aren't really working. So. So another factor is I think we have a couple more minutes, but another factor is our economics. Um, right now, we are. 
think it was today 41 percent uh where did i get that percentage from but uh, we are definitely in a uh financial crisis where gas is hot yes but yeah prices, energy prices energy have gone prices. up have gone up about 40 percent over the last year uh and there's not a whole lot that we can do uh here locally uh, basically, the policies of the uh, brain freeze chief uh, have actually set things up for us to have what we have. Uh, inflation, uh, now we lived, uh, you guys weren't around in uh, the late 70s and early 80s. We actually lived through some terrible inflation. But uh, it was actually fun for me because I was able to put money in the bank and we were making 8% on our savings. If you can imagine that, wow. uh, because as inflation goes up, uh, the cost of money will go up as well. So interest rates are going to go up. And unfortunately, that's going to kill the housing market because when the interest rates get so high, nobody can afford to buy a house. So uh, we I was watching a, a program yesterday and one of the financial gurus of our time basically said that we've got uh, we've got a recession coming. We're not sure how bad it's going to be, but be prepared that uh, it's going to hurt. Uh, and that the founder, the founder of Home Depot, actually used those words yesterday. He said, "In order for things to get better, it's going to everybody's going to be hurting because, uh, uh, especially the people who are living from paycheck to paycheck." Already now, yeah. I think. I think. In, mm -hmm. I think. In order for things to get better, we need to get the right leadership in office. Yeah, you know we, uh, you know leaders like yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Have well, logical and, thought process. And if you and if you look at the, what it was two years ago, I remember a dollar seventy nine gas. I can't remember. I think that was in Missouri. Uh, the wife and I, we like to travel, and when we travel, I like to go by car because then I can stop and visit relatives, and actually stay with them and sort of uh, uh, make sure that I overstay my welcome, uh, but. <laughs> The, the, the important thing is that as we travel from state to state, we see that prices way, way down. But now in Missouri, it's twice as much as what it was two years ago when we were there. Uh, that is ridiculous when you consider the fact that the new policies of this administration actually shut down some of our energy producing uh, uh, companies. They didn't shut down the companies, they shut down the projects. Uh, we wouldn't be dependent on Russian oil today if that pipeline going from Canada to Texas. Do you have another oh, show? Yeah. Do you have another show? We can get into another hour <laughs> yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole yeah. other conversation oh. right there. But, uh, but uh, if we're coming to the end, I guess I, I need to say this. I really enjoyed being here with you guys tonight. Uh, it's always fun uh, visiting with people who uh, are of like mind. Uh, and I want you to know that I am looking forward to serving as the senator from Senate District 26. But in order to, for me to get there, I need your help. I, I need for you to vote for me, both in May and then again in uh, in November. May and November. Brother, you have a couple uh, things to read as well here. Oh, well, the word says uh, Ben Shapiro has said a recession is coming too, just like in 08, that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and then uh, vote, vote, vote. Um, mm -hmm. And also, said the laws don't affect the criminals. That's for sure. So, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. In order for you to get into the office, you definitely need to need to uh, vote. Get the people to vote for you. I mean, you got to. If you want to see change, 
you have to make sure you participate in the election. You have to go out and you know, or wait, go out to your mailbox hopefully and get your get your ballot. And then what I like to do, I get the ballot, I fill it out, and I take it and personally drop it off, and I'll mail it back. So. Yes, uh, and and that's sort of what we do. It's sort of a, of course, being a candidate, we like to take a picture of me dropping the uh, the ballot in the box up in Oregon City, so it it. it it's counted. And of course, uh, one thing that people should know is they can follow their vote. They go to the Secretary of State's uh, website mm -hmm. and they can follow their vote and actually make sure that, that it gets counted. I actually, you stole it. Oh. You, you stole it from me because I was going to say, I'm most, sorry. <laughs> no, that's the first time I've been called a crook. You, that was <laughs> an honest crook. But, and you know what you're talking about because as a person who soon might be entering into a government, um, I want to be there if the people vote me in, and I want to make sure that there's no nefarious action happening yes. between my signing a ballot and it going to where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. So I like the way you say you can track it. So, yeah. well, the, just to add on to that, many people think that they're registered to vote and that they're good to go, but um, in some recent uh, recent voting and other things that have happened out here, we've uh, and and as the we found out there's a big portion of people that actually don't have proper registration of where their location and where they live at isn't there. So now is the right time to go to, they, I think it's called yeah. Orstar, right? Is what you, well, uh, you go to the Oregon Secretary of State's office uh, website, uh, or you can actually go to the Clackamas County Elections website uh, as well, and mm -hmm. that will link you to the Secretary of State's office. But the important thing is that you check and make sure you have until April 26th to file your registration for this election for in May. So uh, you've only got a week and a half. We'll post all the links yeah. onto the Facebook as well. Yeah, check it so, out. So and into our maybe our website, we'll try to get on there so people can see it. And so they can get on there. Make sure that you're, you're registered with your current address where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, and so that way you receive the ballot and that you can make sure that your, your vote's counted and that you're participating actively in seeing the change that you so desperately want. Do it. So, One sheet. And encourage somebody else to, to check theirs as well. I mean, mm -hmm. if you think you're good, I check mine constantly mm -hmm. before every election. I make sure it's good to make sure that, it, that I'm properly registered and everything else and there's no problems. Mistakes happen. Don't don't just assume. Go check. It takes five, less than five minutes. Yeah. And just this last week, uh, the Clackamas County Elections Office mailed every registered voter a card to tell them which districts they are in. If you didn't receive that card, that means they probably have the wrong address for you or you're not registered. So that's time to go check if you didn't get a card in the mail. Yep, that's a good point, good point. So, uh, okay, well, let's do a round robin before we head out. Do you have anything left to go? Yeah, there's a couple more. Oh, a couple more comments? Yeah. Let's see what we got. Okay, uh, it says, uh, vote, let's see, uh, register to vote and participate in the preliminaries, uh, primaries in the election, sorry. Uh, yeah, vote Steve. Uh, yes, absolutely vote Steve. And the last one says, Jane Sapat said they have theirs uh, set up and ready to vote. All right. Well, your voice matters. And exactly. your voice matters. And I think um, I'm going to say this. Senator. 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 Senator Steve. Senator. Senator. Senator Steve. I am. We are so glad to have you at the table tonight to... Um, speak with us clearly and concisely where you're where you stand and so we appreciate you being here well i appreciate the opportunity i really do 
Right, excellent. Well, we want to give you a chance. If there's anything left you want to say right now before I close up the show? Well, uh, I, I guess uh, I'd like some ice cream. <laughs> Check Nancy Pelosi's refrigerator. <laughs> she go. has some there. You have kids down there. <laughs> as, as, as long as you don't get the permanent brain freeze, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, you guys, so much for watching. Thanks for uh, joining us this week and every week before and every week going forward. Please, if you get a chance, take a minute to check out our website. Check out our merchandise. Check out Steve's website. It's actually linked in the description, so you can get a chance to jump right over there for him. Send him any questions you have. I'm sure he likes lots of emails. And uh, join us next week. And don't forget, also, tomorrow, Campfire Discussions with Brandy, 7 p.m. Uh, she's got some, always got some good topics and a uh, fire discussion going on. Uh, but, yeah, we will see you next week, 7 p.m., and uh, have a great week between now and then. Good night. Thanks Good night. Guys.